from MPB Think Radio. This is Southern Remedy, where the doctor is always in. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, professor of internal medicine and pediatrics at UMMC. Thank you for joining us this morning on Southern Remedy. We're going to talk about the health issues that are affecting you the most. That's right. This is the program where you can call in with any questions you might have about any health topic. Maybe it's not your own, but it might be your family's or your friend's even. You can call us this morning at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 Or you can send us an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. This is Southern Remedy from MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. This is Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show remedy at mpbonline.org. And now, Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Good morning. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at UMMC. Welcome to the program where we answer your calls. That's right. uh, We uh, really don't have an agenda that is set on our own because we want to be very open to whatever questions you have. So... We would love to hear from you this morning about those health care questions. Maybe you went to the doctor recently. They told you about something. You didn't quite understand what they were saying. We're here to try to answer those questions as well. Or maybe it's something that's just stumping you, your physicians. We're glad to take a stab at that. Uh, or just general questions uh, or comments that you have about health care uh, for you or your family. Give us a call this morning at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can send an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. Hope everybody's having a wonderful morning outside. Uh, a little overcast when I walked into MPB uh, studios this morning and... Uh, Reminds me that fall is well on the way. I It can't get here any sooner. I've been to a couple of football games. I have a ninth grader and a 12th grader that are playing right now. And last couple of times we've been out there, it seems like the wind has stopped. Uh, it's just one big humid frying pan on the field. And uh, not good for playing football, but hey, we're in the south. That's what happens. In fact, we had uh, I talked to uh, about uh, a couple of kids that had transferred in from way up north and you know they're just getting started in schools up there so uh i can't imagine what it would be like to actually play football when it's cool um but uh, hey that's what we do in the south right we sweat a lot but do keep hydrated out there that's one thing we always want to plug during these summer months into the fall months too is that it can certainly even if you're used to it and you've been in the south all your life it's something that you want to pay attention to way too many heat-related and dehydration injuries uh, and illnesses that we have this time of year, whether you're a child or an adult. Uh, So water is the best rehydration and always helps to not wait until you're thirsty. If you know you're going to be outside, go ahead and start drinking unless you have some limitations from your physician. I know a lot of people have those. If you have kidney problems or heart failure problems, those are things that your physician has probably limited you. But even in those conditions, you need a little bit more if you're going to be outside for prolonged periods just because of those those, uh, water losses through sweat. And a lot of people ask about you know, rehydration drinks, things like Powerade, Gatorade, all those kinds of things. Um, they can help. There's a lot of science in that. But really, if you're going to be out less than 45 minutes, there's not a lot of data to support that those are really helpful. Certainly beforehand, there's a lot of sugar and salt in those. So if, uh, you know, a lot of people will hydrate before they go out with Gatorade or Powerade, there's not really any uh, advantage to doing that. It really does help to drink water 
before those events. And then if you're going to be out there more than about 45 minutes, that's the point where you can do that. There's carbohydrate gels that they make now. I know my son's a big fan of those. Orange is his favorite, uh, those goo gels. And those are those supply a little bit of carbohydrates, but you always want to add water to those things as part of your rehydration. All right, we got plenty of room in the phone lines for you to call in. The number to call is one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or send an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. Let's go to our first caller, John from Mobile. Good morning, John. Yes, sir. Hope you all have had your coffee this morning. I got a question for you. Sure. Let me let me describe uh, what ailments plague me and. Uh, one of the symptoms of those ailments, and maybe you can help me out of it. Uh, I'm presently uh, taking uh, Actos for um, diabetes and Norvisat for uh, for blood pressure. Both of those uh, numbers are looking pretty good uh, with those medications, but my problem is that my feet begin to swell. Mm-hmm. And I understand that it's one of the byproducts of both of those uh, yep. medications. Uh, the doctors have put me on a diuretic uh, along with potassium, um, and uh, that's the way they're treating it. The, the swelling, though, is, is bothersome to me. And, in fact, the, the bottom of the legs actually begin to discolor, darken a little bit, uh, turn bronze-looking. Yep. So that's it. Help me out if you would. Let me know whether it is, is, is this just a cosmetic problem or is it have other implications on other parts of your body, the swelling? Sure. Uh, great questions, John. This is something that's common uh, that we see. I've seen this in my own patients that have been treated for diabetes and hypertension. So both of those drugs that you mentioned, the Actos or pioglitazone is another name for it. Uh, amlodipine or Norvasc is the other one. The Norvasc is for the blood pressure. The Actos is for the, uh, for the diabetes. Great medications. As with all medications, though, they do have side effects. And both of those have been known, particularly the the amlodipine or Norvasc, have been known to increase fluid retention and swelling, or the fancy doctor word we sometimes use as edema. And most of that's in the lower extremities. So uh, it is a side effect. Now, it can, in some instances, there can be other things. I'm sure your physician if you know, has, has questioned you on some other symptoms of other things. Anytime I see a patient with this, I would ask them for symptoms of heart failure uh, and make sure that that's not going on. Uh, it's probably not. It probably is from the medications. So you have a number of choices. Uh, it is not unreasonable to start a diuretic, particularly if your blood pressure is not quite to target or has a little bit of leeway to go down. However, that almost always is not a long-term solution. In other words, uh, you know, I'm not sure which diuretic. There are several out there. There's a class called the thiazide diuretics uh, that don't really have a long-term effect of getting fluid off. A lot of people will use them intermittently, and they work okay then. But if you're taking that every day, uh, it is going to have an effect on the blood pressure, making it go down a little bit more. Uh, but it's also, you know, after about six weeks of taking it, that effect goes away. The loop diuretics, and that's mainly Lasix, is the one that everybody thinks about, or furosemide. Uh, that's one you can give, and it will get fluid off, but it only lasts about six hours. And it does have the side effect. I heard you say that they're giving you potassium. That's because it, it depletes potassium. So basically you pee out potassium in your urine uh, with with taking Lasix. That's what I'm on, Torisomide. Yeah. So so that's that's the quandary. I always try to look for alternatives and this is just my approach. I'm not I'm not, you know, speaking against any physician's approach. A lot of people will say, "Well, let's treat that." Well, that's another medication or two in your case. Uh I try to look for ways to try to solve that problem with a, maybe another medication uh or to switch and the good thing about both those conditions that you have with diabetes and hypertension is that there are multiple things that could treat it as well or maybe even better than what you're on right now. So if if you were my patient, I would consider at this point maybe changing to a different blood pressure medication or diabetes medication. And maybe you've tried some in the past and this is just what's worked, but, you know... That's basically what the endocrinologist is saying. Yeah. She, she's saying hold on to the uh, Actos and talk to your... Uh, to your 
cardiologist about changing the uh, blood pressure medication. Yeah, to, and there's the Norvacet. Yeah, John, and there's 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 multiple things out there that they can choose from that are that are equally as effective in getting the blood pressure down and equally effective with you know prevention of heart attack or stroke. So I I would go that route. I mean that would be my personal preference. We just see it a lot with amlodipine or Norvasc, and the higher the dose, the more swelling you tend to have. The changes you described on the leg sound like venous insufficiency, and they can get worse if you have the swelling from a drug uh, effect. And that's not, uh, you know, when you say, well, does that mean that I have arterial disease or do I have blood vessels that are not getting blood to my extremities? It's not really that problem. It's just blood sort of pooling down there. And blood has a, a, chem, a um, compound in it called hemosiderin. And hemosiderin, when blood sits in one place, it precipitates out into the tissues. And it has that. That's why you get that bronze color. It's almost like rust underneath your skin, that's but, but that's the iron in it, and that stays there sometimes for months. So it is a cosmetic effect. It's not going to cause any long-term damage other than you really want that blood flow to be good, you know, not only going to those extremities but coming back to the heart. I think what your endocrinologist says is right on the money. Uh, it's probably not going to offend your, your cardiologist. Sometimes you can get subspecialists fighting with one another about what the best thing is. That's why it's always a good idea to have a primary care person to say, it's sort of orchestrating things to say, no, nah, this is, this is the direction we need to go. But I think they'll be fine with that. You know, amlodipine is a good blood pressure medication. A lot of people tolerate it well. I've got a lot of patients on it, but there are other things out there that in your case may have less side effects. Okay, I appreciate the, the quick response. Sure, sure. Thanks for calling, and I did have my coffee this morning. Good. All right, we're going to go to a break. When we come back, plenty of time for you to call in on Southern Remedy, and we got a couple of emails here, so you can reach us this morning at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, or send us an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. We'll be right back after this. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. This is Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call one 877 MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can email the show remedy at mpbonline.org. Welcome back to Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, and we're talking about all kinds of things this morning because we are taking your calls. That's right. We are taking any kind of questions you have. I just talked to John from Mobile, but we have wide open lines right now to talk about anything that's just been bugging you. Maybe it's been a couple of weeks and you're like, you know what, I'm going to ask Dr. Jimmy. Well, I am here right now for you, and we are willing and able to answer those questions that you have about the health of you or your family. You can reach us at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, or email us at remedy at mpbonline.org. And speaking of email, I have one in my hands here. It says, good morning. I'm afraid my child is bullying her friend. She is 10 years old and larger than all the other children. She thinks she is being funny and that the other kids get it, but I've witnessed this behavior and the others do not think it's funny. She used to say snarky and or mean things to her friends, but I think she's finally made, uh, I finally made her understand that it's not funny and would hurt her feelings if someone else said those things to her. Now what she does, not every day, but when the mood strikes her, is to pick her her friends up off the ground and swirl them around without warning and without their permission. Some of their friends laugh, but I've seen also seen terror on the faces of one or two of them. 
I've talked with her about this many times, but she just doesn't listen. She doesn't hurt anyone that I know, but it doesn't seem, uh, and I, it doesn't seem to be an angry or mean behavior because she just thinks it's funny, but it still does not seem right. Is this bullying? Do you have any ideas on how to handle this or any suggestions on getting through to her? Thank you for your time. So uh, this, yeah, this bullying is is one of those things that, number one, people have a hard time differentiating teasing and bullying. And the really the key here is, is, is it pervasive? Does it go on long enough and it doesn't stop? And, and there really is a power struggle here. So bullying is all about a power differential from one kid to the other, or an adult for that matter. We know that this doesn't stop in, in childhood. And I think some of the behaviors that uh, that are described here do fit with bullying. And actually, I am, I applaud this parent for emailing in because um, what we know long term, if you don't address the bullying behavior, the person who is doing the bullying towards somebody else, they can have worse outcomes than the person who's being bullied long term. So it's great that you're already thinking about this and addressing this. So if if a kid is uh, or anybody else is saying by their words stop or by their behavior hey I'm afraid and somebody's not picking up on that you want to coach your kid through that that hey this is not right when they they look like they're scared or they're telling you that that's when you don't need to do that and any kind of behavior from a parent standpoint that is inappropriate you certainly have license to tell your child that is an inappropriate behavior. You don't need to do that. Um, Because if it continues, these are the kind of things that we see later on in adulthood where you feel like you can just do that. A 10-year-old, pre-adolescent, they're thinking about concrete things. Oftentimes, feelings are good. Certainly, it sounds like you can internalize that, but they're not quite, most kids are not quite to the point where they can extrapolate that to other kids' situations. So they're not going to have these abstract ideas about justice and about them having their own you know, personal space and those kinds of things. What they need are boundaries, and clear boundaries with positive and negative reinforcements that are appropriate to that child. Uh, that's the most important thing with changing the behavior. The important thing is not that, necessarily your daughter is a bully. It's that the behavior is what we want to change. We want her to change the behavior and not use this. It sounds like if she's doing it and she thinks it's funny, even if somebody isn't, that's a bit of a power differential there where she's gaining power because she is larger than they are right now. That may change as time goes on, but the behavior may change as well. You can't just sort of wait this out. You need to deal with it. My suggestion would be to uh, to first of all talk to her teachers because obviously you're learning about this maybe you've seen it yourself but and just let them know hey I want to know when my child is doing these kinds of things and then you need to have some negative consequences a ten year old can tie that to negative consequences fine maybe it's not doing what she would normally do when she gets home taking away some privileges that she has um, and and just make that very clear to her. If you are doing this, even if you don't mean to hurt anybody else, it's not a behavior that we want you to do. This has got to change. Swinging people around, you can't do that anymore. There are other ways to play with people side by side with them that you don't have to do that. And then maybe focus in some of that other energy in other directions. Uh, you know, I don't know if there's, you know, if a sport or something that she can be, you know, that's a wonderful place to learn about that. Coaches can help uh, in those sports sort of mold that behavior so they can apply those boundaries. Hey, it's inappropriate for you to push your teammate in that way. Um, you know, there's, there's certainly rules in those sports. That's good for kids to learn those kinds of things as they grow up. Boundaries are perfectly fine. I think one of the mistakes that we make as, as parents is we try to emotional, we try to inject emotion too early in our kids when their brains can't handle it. They're just not quite to the point. 16, 17-year-old, you can talk about emotions all day, and they, they start to get that because that is their world. It's so emotional. Uh, but a 10-year-old, I would really focus on those boundaries and those positive and negative uh, reinforcements for that and be consistent with it and try to uh, to get your team behind you. Your team is going to be your parents. 
uh, other other uh, kids that she plays with, parents, uh, and everybody going in the same direction. So that was uh, that was what I would do. And if you don't get anywhere with that, there's certainly a lot of child psychologists that can help you out uh, to try to mold some of that behavior and to help you coach you in how to, to do that best for your own child. Certainly something we see, cyberbullying is a big issue. If you talk to uh, a lot of uh, principals at different schools, they will tell you that is a huge issue in this age range too. So you also want to address it from that standpoint. So thanks for that email. Certainly a, a helpful topic that's out there that a lot of people are struggling with. Let's go to the phone lines, and we've got Kay from Memphis, Tennessee. Good morning, Kay. Hey, good morning. Are your feet hurting? That not today. Okay. Should well, they when be? They, when they start hurting, you know you have filled Doctor Rick's shoes. Ha <laughs> ha! That's funny. So. Uh, we 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 really had so much in common. And as you will know, if you do not remember, I'm a retired medical social worker from the Korea area and on up through Tulane Medical School. So oh yeah, I'm very, I'm very comfortable with the with doctors. Sure. Sometimes I think I get too flirtatious with them. So anyway, <laughs> <laughs> the main thing I wanted to ask you about is what do you think about this recent uh, bulletin on um, on on 81 milligram aspirin? Do you have an opinion? Yeah, yeah. So just in the news this past week, so uh, particularly in older individuals, so I think I can't remember exactly the cutoff, but it was, you know, 70 to 80-year-old range and up. Uh, aspirin uh, used to be something that everybody said. Just take an aspirin over the age of 50. We still have really good evidence that over the age of about 50, uh, particularly if you're male, that it does help prevent heart attack and stroke. Um, but it's you know it's it is good evidence. It's not really like really overwhelming evidence, but it's there. But this recent evidence, and this was a lot of different people that they looked at over a long period of time, showed that actually it's not that helpful in the older age range. And the reason is because of the side effects. We talked about side effects earlier on different medications. Aspirin, as you know, is a blood thinner, so it inhibits platelets from sticking together, and it can cause bleeding. So Part of the problem is if you look at in the elderly, they're more likely to bleed. And if you're more likely to fall down and have other kinds of problems like that or GI problems as well, GI bleeding is one of the most common causes or side effects uh, if you're going to have bleeding from aspirin. So that's why. So, you know, what I've told my patients uh, uh, yesterday is that basically this is the newer evidence that's out there. That's the good thing about medicine. We try to keep up with things and things change if we have new evidence that comes in. And I'm not really recommending that uh, as much as I used to. So I think that's a good timely thing to bring up, Kay, is uh, if you're on aspirin and you don't have any problems, that at least should generate a discussion with your physician about whether or not you need to do that. If you're pretty low risk, if you've been pretty healthy and don't have any health problems, I probably would not take it if I were, uh, you know, over the age of 70. Um, if you do have other health problems, if certainly if you have heart disease already or if there's another reason to be on aspirin, I would, you, you definitely need to be. This was in normally otherwise healthy older individuals over the age of 70 is the, the group that they looked at. I wanted to know is I'm also on warfarin. Yeah, you definitely need to talk to your doctor because that's two anticoagulants. Yeah, unless, yeah. If, they're, and, ha- they're having trouble getting me up. They said they want to get me up to 10. I, I went yesterday and let the vampires take some blood. So, yeah. And it will be tomorrow before I know. But they're just raising it one, you know, one dosage at a time. Yeah, warfarin's but hard to get that only, regulated. They, I'm I'm very familiar with warfarin because I had a an older brother who was on it for years and I I sort of supervised that et cetera et cetera. So you but know I all about one, it. Yeah, well, you know, I'm a medical stuff. You know, you you. I will tell you. I, you know, I'll tell you my history again. I have a master's degree in medical social work and I have loved medicine and I just I have learned not to wear scrubs. Off of my property because somebody's going to come up. To, Can you tell me what? I said, look, I, I'm, not, I'm not a doctor. 
<laughs> yeah. So I had just I had just learned to wear my scrubs around the house. Sure. When I go somewhere, I take my scrubs sure. off. Sure. But anyway. And Kay, um, Kay, I would just have a discussion with your uh, with your physician about that, particularly if you're you know if you're on that warfarin, there may be a good reason to take both of those, um, but it does put you a little bit higher risk of bleeding. So, but we do ask. Uh, thank you for uh, for uh, bringing that up, though. That's a great question, and certainly in the news lately. All right, thank you, Kay, for that call from Memphis, and uh, just keep those scrubs on inside the house. Let's go to Linda from Ridgeland. Good morning, Linda. Good morning. Thanks for calling. Uh, you're welcome. I, I just had a question. My doctor took me, I was on metform for, God, I have got diabetes, as you know, but uh, she took, they took, I went to a new doctor. Uh, they've taken me off metform and put me on glimepride. There's two pills of glimepride. Metform controlled my diabetes very well, but this glimepride don't. It just don't hold it where it needs to be. Yeah, it's a little bit different in the way that it interacts or, or that it, that it uh, acts to control it. Was there a particular reason that they took you off the metformin? I don't know. Yeah. Well, for one thing, I was having uh, problems with my tummy, but that that I know what what happened on that. So, but uh, I wasn't my diet wasn't right. Really, I didn't have enough. Uh, bulk in my in my diet yeah and that that is a problem with metformin particularly if you take it on a uh empty stomach uh is that you can have some gi upset with it there are some other things that you have to to sort of keep an eye on your kidney function is one of them so is your you know if you have any kind of long-term or, or chronic kidney problems you have to be careful with the metformin because it can cause some problems but uh, that may generate a, a conversation with them to put you back on that. Uh, glimepiride, and maybe they just don't have the dose right, but it does act differently. It does have more of a risk for decreasing your blood sugar too low at times, particularly if you don't eat. Metformin tends to not do that. It acts uh, primarily in your liver and in your muscles to help decrease blood sugar. Glimepiride acts on your pancreas to sort of squeeze out more insulin uh, that your body makes. Um, but yeah, the, certainly I've, I've run into this too. Like we're using one medication, maybe had a little bit of side effects, did, went to a different one for diabetes and you end up going back to the one you were using. Everybody's different. Um, and that's, you know, we're really trying to zoom in on what are the things that we can, it would be really nice. Some of the frustrating things for patients sometimes is to not realize just how impre- imprecise medicine is. A lot of it, you know what the medications are going to do from a population standpoint or a group of people, but how each individual reacts, it would be great to get a blood test. And in some instances we have that where we can be very precise and we're getting better at it. But diabetes is one where sometimes it's trial and error to sort of see what the right medication is. And that can take some time as you know, but, um, you know, if the GI problems weren't causing you effects, you don't have any other complications from, you know, our, our potential complications from metformin, it might be worthwhile to go back on it. Well, can I ask you just one other thing? Sure. I have got, I just, I just now found out that I'm at that, um, my liver was damaged by something. Now, when I was young, I had a whole year of illnesses and they really had a horrible time figuring out what it was. But my dam- my liver has been damaged, uh, and I'm at that, uh, not cirrhosis, but the one above it, uh, and uh, fibrosis. Yeah. And it's not that bad yet. Now, man, I'm watching my diet like crazy. Good. But, yeah, and that uh, and and Linda, that may be why they took you off the metformin because that's because it does act in the liver. And uh, that that may be the the very reason why they did that. There's other things out there though. There's other types of medications, and certainly we got a lot more diabetic medications that they could potentially use. So I just talk to your doctor about it and say, hey, I want to get good control of my diabetes. Let's do it. Yeah. Well, I really do because metformin, I can keep it under control. This right. one here, it's always twenty degrees higher than it needs to be. Yeah, that's 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 getting on up there. <laughs> All right, Linda. Well, thank you for calling, and uh, good luck with that uh, discussion with your physician about that. I sure will. I appreciate all your help. Thank you. You're welcome. Let's go to Andre in Oxford. Good morning, Andre. Uh, hey. 
Dr. Jimmy, I have uh, recently been diagnosed with what is probably a popliteal cyst. Yep. And um, urgent care doctor that I went to said, you know, if it's not causing you a lot of pain, there's really no reason for you to be seen by an uh, orthopedic doctor at this point, and an MRI is what would really be needed to truly diagnose it. But I was wondering just will it resolve on its own, or is this one of those things that eventually I might have to have it drained or something like that? Uh, it's one of those things that could go either way. So a popliteal cyst is uh, it's an out it's really a, a bursa. Just talking with somebody about this earlier. Uh, so it's a bursa, which is a fluid filled sac. Uh, and the bursa are basically in and around joints and they help with the cushioning of joints and the cushioning of other tissues that are around there. And it's on the back part of your knee. Usually people feel a pop or they injure the knee in such a way that that bursa, it, it, um, it punctures or it, uh, it has a hole in it. And that fluid that was in there, it, it leaks out into the surrounding tissues. And just because of the action of gravity, it usually goes down the leg. They can have some bleeding with it too. So most people have this bulge on the back of their knee or it goes down into their calf. It causes some pain and discomfort just because you're stretching those tissues from the fluid. Uh, most people that goes away on its own and you want to do, you know, conservative therapy. And honestly, uh, it doesn't always require an MRI. Now you can see it with an MRI really good, but if it's, you know, if it's pretty straightforward with how it looks on exam, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of times you can just watch it and, uh, uh, have just, uh, the normal, uh, conservative things like a compress, cold compress back there over time can help. But in some people, it doesn't. Some people, it can reoccur, and that's when they, uh, you know, it's a, a fairly a benign surgery where they go in and sort of close up that hole in the bursa uh, so that it doesn't leak out. Uh, but if, yeah, if it's if it's causing you recurrent problems, then that's, that's something you probably want to get looked at. But if you can tolerate ibuprofen, those kinds of things can help with the inflammation, um, and then just, just see what happens over the next few weeks. Okay. Well, so far my calf is not involved. Uh-huh. It seems to really just be the swelling behind the knee and yep. I had some stiffness in my knee after doing a lot of work in my yep. garden <laughs> and being up and down off my knees. That's when it, um, it occurred or I noticed the stiffness in my knee first, but so far that's, that's it. It's just a kind of a swelling right behind the knee. And I've just been taking some, um, the proxen, and that's about it. I mean, yeah, I haven't gotten any smaller. I haven't gotten any bigger. Yeah, you're doing the right things. And for how long has it been there? Um, almost a month. Yeah. So I'd, I'd give it another couple of weeks. And at that point, I'd go get a either. It doesn't have to be an orthopedic surgeon, or, but somebody that has a lot of experience in doing that. A lot of primary care physicians see this a lot. Um, and then, you know, if they think at that point you need to have some imaging or go see an orthopedic surgeon to sort of see if you're a surgical candidate, that would be the next step. Okay. All right. Thank you. All right. Yeah. That's a, that's one that's, uh, uh, certainly a very common theme and, uh, it it can be sort of debilitating in a lot of people, particularly if you're really active, I'm dealing with tennis elbow right now, so I know about this. So it's, you want to keep doing what you're, what you like to do, but, uh, Uh, getting older and getting these kinds of things, it's not any kind of fun. This is Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Jimmy. You can reach us this morning at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or send an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. Let's go to Tom in Tumsuba. Hello. Hey, Tom, you're on the air. Yeah. Uh, Well, I had one question, but now I got two because when I turned the radio on, you were talking about aspirin and old people. Bring them on. I don't know. I don't know what you said. I'm 72. I've been taking an 81 milligram for five, 10, 15 years now. I don't have any gastro problems. Don't have any problem with any insects. And did you say we're not supposed to be taking it or what? Well, it depends on the reason. So if you don't have any other health problems, and your doctor just said to you, or maybe you saw in the news, it's a good thing to take a, a baby aspirin every day to try to prevent heart attack or stroke. The newest evidence that suggests that it might not be that protective in that older age group. 
Uh-huh. However, if you have other reasons that you're taking it, if you have diabetes or if you have, yeah. you know, a heart heart problem or hypertension, your doctor said, you know, you're increased risk for this. I'd None keep, of that at all. Well, if you don't have any of that, I'd say, Tom, that's one less, th- less thing right now that you need to worry okay. about. And I do bleed like a stuck hog. I can scrape my hand, any kind of little thing. You know, I've got yep. old man's skin. It tears easy, and yep. I just bleed like crazy. But I... That would probably eliminate some of that if I got on. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that okay. would that would probably be better. What's your second so that, question? That's the new thing. All right, my other question, the main one, was about my wife. 72 years old, uh, about 5'4", 5'5", 140 pounds. Uh, reasonably good health. Works very, very hard. Uh, she had the shingles vaccine four years ago, and two months ago she got hit with the shingles. Yep. Right side of her head and, and down on her right shoulder mm. and forward on her right chest. Uh, we did with, um, I don't know, the first week or two that broke out pretty bad, but then she got rid of that. She did go to a local compounder and got a compound ointment that immediately took the itching and stinging away. Mm-hmm. But after about three days, she had an allergic reaction to it, so had to get away from that. Anyway, right now she can go. She wakes up in the morning, usually hurting pretty bad. She takes a gabapentin, takes maybe some Tylenol arthritis, and then goes and puts in about eight-hour days. She comes home, hits out in the yard, the garden. She works very, very hard all day long, just out in the sun, soaking wet with sweat, does just fine. And then when she lays down and goes to bed, all of a sudden it hits her like a ton of bricks. She's in terrible pain. Yeah. Sometimes she can ease it off with ice and medication. Sometimes it just won't go away. And I don't understand, is she doing something wrong? Why don't they go away? What can we do for it? There's absolutely no treatment other than gabapentin that I can tell. Uh, early on, when you have an outbreak, you can try to treat it with an antiviral agent, either acyclovir or valacyclovir. So that's specific to the virus uh, that's affecting those nerves. But if you're already into it, you know, it's, I mean, it's worth a shot with the, if she's having those kinds of symptoms, you know, I might even, even want to treat her. But usually if you don't catch it in the first couple of days of it popping out, it's, it's a little bit hard to get a a hold on it. All of this has to do with the immune system. So if the body's immune system is working well, it sort of keeps that, that varicella, varicella virus in the nerves at bay. So it's keeping it down, even though it doesn't, it never goes away. So if you had chicken pox, you know, you, you can have those viral particles that are in those, what the dorsal nerve root ganglions. So those are, that's the, the, um, the nerves around the spinal cord and they just hang out there. And if your immune system goes down for whatever reason, you got another illness going on, or as you get older, sometimes the immune system sort of wanes. That's the whole reason for getting the shingles vaccine. It does decrease your risk. It doesn't totally take the risk away, though. So in your case, unfortunately, in her case, it's, you know, she was one of those that still got it. But that's the only other thing I know about. If she's still having that many problems with it, with particularly with the pain, you might want to talk to your physician about a course of, of acyclovir uh, to see if that makes it at least go away a little bit sooner. But And then making sure that, you you know, you're, Get trying to get plenty of sleep, trying to eat right, exercise. Those are all things that can help boost the immune system. A lot of people place a lot of stock in in the certain types of foods they eat. I would just say eat healthy. There's herbal kinds of remedies that you can try. None of them are going to be harmful, you know, at least the ones I know about. Uh, But I, I would do that. Hey, this is a terrible, terribly debilitating problem to have. The pain can be excruciating even if somebody's lightly touching the area that's affected. So, and you can lose your vision with shingles too, if it's particularly if it's on the face, on the upper part of the face, uh, on the forehead. But uh, Tom, it sounds like she's doing everything that most people would do, but it's just, I, the only other thing I would say is maybe explore that, that antiviral route. Can I ask you another question? Yeah. Uh, as far as her being outdoors, working as hard as she does in the sun, sweating and all that, that, shouldn't affect her shingles at all no not really i mean it, it, it's going to be determined by pain that she has while she's doing the activity yeah. sometimes sweating will do that but hey if she likes to do it and i'd let her do it well she gets her exercise okay then there's really nothing we can do other than just put up with it. it's going to go away yeah. one day huh? some of the creams that have capsaicin in it which is it sounds incredibly painful just thinking about it but it's a it's a that's the hot part of a pepper but it works. It works. So you may want to you may want to look at that too. Is uh, those creams that have capsaicin in it? 
Okay. All right. Thank you. All right. Let's go to David in Winston County. Good morning, David. Good morning. Thanks for calling. Um, I, I, my main question is about uh, I, I have numbness and tingling in the bottom of my foot. Uh-huh. And, and occasionally uh, I have what feels like a charley horse in my right calf. Uh, and it just, there's really, I, I, about 20 years ago, I had a, uh, uh, herniated disc. I was in a lot of pain for a long time, but fortunately I found a, a surgeon there at, uh, in Jackson, you know, who, who says I can do surgery and fix it first thing or said, we can wait and it might fix itself. Well, fortunately it fixed itself. Um, and I'm, I'm wondering if it could be related, you know, to that because the, uh, that that tingling, but I guess my main concern is is could it be something else, and I need to get in and have it checked. Yeah, do you have any other medical problems like diabetes, David? No. Okay. No, I'm I'm a, I, my everyone says I'm amazingly healthy for 66 years old. Okay. Yeah, it's so there are a couple of other things that just come to mind. A couple of vitamin deficiencies, particularly B12. Uh, can uh-huh. be one that uh, that can present that way, where you have sort of a, either pain or numbness and tingling in your hands and feet. Um, making sure that you don't have diabetes, because that's another common cause. Usually, if you've had it for a while, but so if you if you've got a good checkup and they say you don't, that's probably not something you need to worry about. Uh, but it is, and the other thing is, there's a lot of sleep disorders that can present this way. So things like restless leg syndrome. Uh, there's a couple of other things that uh, that can cause that uh, vi- uh, electrolyte deficiencies, particularly magnesium and potassium. So that's something you may need to get checked. Those are all blood tests that you can do. That includes the B12 levels too. If any of those are, are low, that's an easy fix because that's something that you can get over the counter on all of those to try to correct that. Potassium, you may want to take a prescription depending on what your doctor says. But um, but that's that's the things I would eliminate. And then beyond there, you get into the area. That it, this is one of those frustrating things in medicine that we really don't understand a whole lot about leg cramps and leg numbness or foot numbness. A lot of people have it, and they don't have other problems, and it's just hard to treat, honestly. There are mm-hmm. some older medications that people swore by. Uh, you know, in the VA system, quinine was used for a long time. It does have some potential cardiac side effects, but um, those are the, the first steps that I would look at. Maybe some of those vitamin deficiencies. Okay. All right. Well, see, I've been on a, I've been on a, a low carb diet for two or three years to, to, and lost about forty pounds. And and I that when the thing you mentioned about the vitamin deficiencies and that it, it, I don't know carbohydrates. Yeah, it might, that, just because a lot of those vitamin deficiencies, it takes time to deplete your, your body of those. Uh-huh. So that may be that, 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 that may be a potential cause right there. I mean, it's not, and, and it can happen over the years. Some of those stores, they hang around for six months or maybe even a year or two before they're depleted. So that may be, if you change that, uh, certainly don't want you to gain the weight back, but, um, sure. you know, you may, it may be just as simple as taking a, a, a vitamin supplement. Okay. Great. All right. Thank you, David. Let's go to Mary in Vicksburg. Good morning, Mary. Morning. Thanks for calling. Thank you. I was curious. Um, I don't know if it was your show or another show, but uh, someone had called in and said they were taking steroids for glaucoma. And I was curious because my granddaughter, my great-granddaughter, she'll be five in December, They've got her on steroids for asthma. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering if, uh, because they said it would cause problems with their eyes and it would cause diabetes, and on her uh, other grandmother's side, uh, they have diabetes in their family. And I was curious, would that affect her? Because she's like almost five, and she weighs 85 pounds. Yeah. Weight gain is another side effect, too. I think that you may have heard that a, a little, uh, you may have misheard the steroids aren't used to treat glaucoma. So they can, uh-huh. they certainly, it is a long-term side effect if you're taking them for a long period of time. So uh-huh. as asthma is one of those, you know, inflammation is one of the hallmarks of asthma, inflammation in the lungs themselves. And if you can stop that inflammation, uh, it, it, right where it's going on, that can, 
definitely help control asthma. So steroids are one of the mainstays for treating that, and and you certainly don't want to bypass that because of side effects. Thankfully, though, uh-huh. Long term, if we're having to take them, it's much better to inhale those steroids because you get them right to the lungs, and the amount that you absorb in the rest of your body, they it it doesn't cause a lot of the other side effects that you just talked about. Every oh, once in a okay. while, if she's having like what we call an exacerbation, so she's having an asthma attack, she may uh-huh. have to have oral steroids at that point. But the goal should be to get off of those and onto inhaled steroids so that you don't have those side effects you just mentioned. Well, I know she takes breathing treatments and stuff. And then um, I think it was day four yesterday, she went to the emergency room, and the doctor told her that she wasn't going to give her any more steroids and that she needed to come off them because she weighed too much. Right. And she's not, you know, she, she's active and everything, and she's um, not, she doesn't sit around and things like that. So she's very active, and they feed her right. So she's not, you know, fat from eating or anything in that category or just sitting still. It's mostly from the medications yep. that they're giving her. So is there something else they could give her? Um, yeah, if she it's... Has one because they were telling her that they were going to give her something like um, homeopathic uh, ingredients. There, there, there are other, yeah, there are other inhaled medications, and again, you can you can treat it with the inhaled steroids are not going to cause the the weight gain. So, it's it's probably steroids they're giving her by mouth, and that can control asthma. But you want to get off of those because of the long term effects on your bones, the glaucoma, diabetes risk, weight gain, all those things you just mentioned, skin changes. Uh, but steroids, it's a matter of getting the least amount right where you want to get it. So another analogy would be right now, if they're giving it to her by mouth, you know, as a pill, that's like shooting asthma with a cannon. What we want to do is shoot it with a rifle where we're getting it right where we want it uh, with, so the side effects aren't everywhere else. So there are other medications for asthma. You don't have to go totally to homeopathic ones. They're really good ones that work that are, uh, that are a little bit different uh, that can be in, in, uh, conjunction with or without steroids. Uh, but the goal should be to control asthma. You got to breathe and it can be a dangerous thing. I've seen too many kids die of asthma attacks. So I, I wouldn't jump off the ship towards other things just yet, but you can reduce the amount of those oral steroids that she's getting. So, uh, but that's that's the next step I would do. And you can always go see somebody who specializes in this. So an allergy immunology doctor or a pulmonary, pediatric pulmonary doctor, both of those can certainly be uh, somebody that, that they can see that can they can have a little bit more expertise in it. All right. Thank you, Sue, for that question. Let's go to, is it Say or, I can't, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, in Biloxi. Say? Yes, I had, yes, I'm here. It's Faye. Uh, I had a question. My husband and I are both 70. We had the uh, shingle shot a few, a few years ago, but now over the air, um, I'm hearing about this new shingle shot that's a two part and it offers more. Uh, um, more immunity. More immunity, yes. Yeah. yeah, that's one because they did notice, you know, and, you know, we're, I'm very honest about the the vaccine uh, efficacy rates of these, and most most physicians are. You know, from the get go, we knew that there was only about an 85 percent or so uh, rate with, uh, or, or even lower in a lot of other situations. If you got the the shingles vaccine, again, if you've ever had shingles, it's worth it to decrease your risk as much as possible. This second vaccine is a little bit more effective, and that's why they are uh, encouraging people to go this route. Insurance companies usually have to catch up with that. So even though it has better rates of control, uh, you know, we've, we've been with our own patients, we've been sort of waiting around to see if, uh, if they're going to, you know, if the insurance companies are going to pay for it before they, uh, before we ask patients to go get it. But yeah, I would do that just because it's a little bit more effective, even if you've had the other vaccine, there's a lot of, of fallacies out there. I don't think you, you're thinking this way, but a lot of other people will think, well, is it going to give me shingles if I get this? Or if I've already got shingles in the past, do I need to get it? The answer is absolutely yes, you do need it. 
uh, even if you've had shingles. In fact, those are the people that are more likely to get recurrent shingles. So shingles itself doesn't protect you against getting shingles in the future. Uh, it means that your immune system sort of waned and you've got that virus still hanging out in those nerves. But yeah, say it's, it's, um, it's a little bit more effective than the other one. Uh, and it is something that we're recommending that, that uh, individuals get. Okay. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Sure. Yeah, that's, uh, man, shingles. I have seen way too many complications of those things, uh, of, of shingles infections. And uh, my grandmother had this um, when she had lung cancer. And again, sometimes you want to, I always try to ask those questions of patients. Is there anything that's changed? Is there anything that you've changed in your life or other symptoms that are there? Because sometimes it can be sort of a warning flag or a canary in the coal mine, as they used to say, that something else is going on that's affecting the uh, immune system and uh, the immune system's just uh, not working as well. So you always want to ask about those things. Sometimes if you correct that, um, you know, they won't get shingles in the future. But once it flares up, thankfully, a lot of people, it doesn't last that long. Or if you catch it early, you can treat it with that antiviral agent like the cyclovir that we mentioned. Uh, but a lot of times it's not, and it can be very debilitating. Uh, speaking of vaccines, flu vaccine is here. So a lot of people had that. A lot of different um, uh, you know, concerns about the flu vaccine. I had several people say, uh, ask me, well, I don't need to get it this early, do I? I mean, it's not even October, and um, it may not be useful to get it. One thing that we've noticed with the flu season from year to year is it's getting longer. So it starts earlier and it lasts longer. And some, in some cases from year to year, depending on the surveillance, there's a ton of different surveillance that goes into this um, that we've recommended, the CDC's recommended getting another vaccine dose uh, in the spring, later in the spring. But certainly, if you're at risk, and this is just about anybody, uh, just because of how much close contact we have with each other, how easily things are spread through transportation, worldwide spread of things now is so much easier than it used to be. Uh, we're recommending this from you know anybody from six months of age and up. Uh, you probably need to get a flu vaccine. There are some contraindications for that, uh, but anybody with chronic diseases or you're around somebody with chronic diseases or young children, hey, protect them by getting it. And there's certainly different types of ways to get it. Um, if if you have egg allergies, there are vaccines that are recombinant. They're not made with that. Some of them have uh, thimerosal uh, but a lot of them don't. In fact, the majority of them don't, aren't made that way. So you can find that. They are a little bit harder to find sometimes, but certainly uh, you want to be protected. I always remind people, you know, from 1917 through 1919, uh, during that two-year period, there were more people killed worldwide by the flu uh, than there were in World War One. Uh, so anywhere from 50 to 100 million people died of flu. And it's interesting, uh, although we didn't have a lot of the medicine uh, techniques that we have and hygiene, uh, there's a lot of things nowadays, again, about the uh, how quickly things spread that you want to protect yourself and your loved ones around you. So I would encourage you to get the flu vaccine. I got mine earlier this week. Uh, so I'm a big proponent for that. That's all the time we have for today. I want to thank our callers for calling Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. You can reach us each uh, Wednesday. I had to think of which day it was. Each Maybe I do need some more coffee. Each Wednesday at 11 o'clock on Southern Remedy. And stay tuned for MPB Think Radio. Here and now, coming up next. <laughs> 